This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. I'd like for you to take God's word and go with me into the New Testament to 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, and we come to verse number 12, 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, and verse number 12. On Sunday evenings, we've been studying together this book, and I'm praying that God will use it in our lives. There are so many parallels with the things that the Corinthian church faced in their culture that we face today in the American church. As we come to verse number 12, we see that the Apostle Paul is dealing with the subject of fornication, sexual sin. In verse number 12, Paul writes, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not? that he which is joined to an harlot is one body. For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God? And ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I'd like for you to look at verse number 18. The first two words we read there uh, form the title of this message tonight, Flee Fornication. Flee Fornication. Let's pray together. Father, we pray as we come around your word tonight that you would help us to receive the instruction, the warning, the admonition. And I pray that you would help us to be obedient to you. In Jesus' name, amen. In, in the previous verses that we looked at, the Apostle Paul helped us understand uh, our past or previous condition. Uh, he wrote in verse number 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves uh, with mankind. There he's dealing with a number of uh, sexual sins, sexual sins that are characteristic of our uh, modern culture. 
Verse 10, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. He dealt with their previous condition. And then he deals with their present position. But ye, he says in verse 11, are washed. Ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So he is explaining to them their position as believers in Christ that though they had committed those sins and though they still dealt with the flesh or they lived in a body of flesh that had a propensity to commit those sins, in Christ, the Spirit of God dwelling in them, they had a new position. They were washed. They were loosed from their sins. They are sanctified, set apart under Christ, and their record has been uh, cleansed and expunged, and they are now justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So now that they have been uh, given an understanding of their position in Christ, the Apostle Paul speaks to them very practically about living out that position practicing godly living. One of the most prominent areas of temptation and struggles in Corinth, of course, would have been the area of sexual sin. And Corinth was known for its wickedness and depravity and its sexual immorality. As I mentioned to you in the very first message uh, from the book of Corinthians, there was a temple there. Uh, a temple that was dedicated to a pagan goddess. And in the temple worship, there were prostitutes who would meet up with those who came. And in their worship of this pagan god, they would participate in sexual immorality. It was a pervasive practice of the day. And Paul is writing now to these new believers who were living in this culture, who had grown up in this culture, uh, believing that this was just normal practice in the world in which they lived. And Paul is dealing with the subject of fornication, and he has a prescription for the problem, and the prescription is given to us in verse number 18. Flee fornication. Quite simply, run from it. Don't stay and try to fight it but flee it. Now, I want you to note some things in this passage that will help us understand this admonition because this sin is a powerful sin. There are three things about it I hope that you will learn this evening as we look in the pages of God's Word and we look at our text. First of all, we see that it is a deceptive sin. Fornication is a deceptive sin. I want you to go back with me to verse number 12. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body, and God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. You see, this sin is powerful because it is deceptive in nature. 
It is a deceptive sin. Now, there are three observations I want to give you from these verses concerning uh, the deceptive nature of this sin. And we read them here in the verses uh, that I have just read for you in verses 12 through 14. I want you to notice, first of all, we look at verse 12, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. The Corinthian believers talked much of their liberty in Christ. The Judaizers would seek to bring them under the law and practicing the commandments and the, the, uh, cult or the religious uh, rituals of the Jews. The dietary laws, for example. Those were things that the Judaizers would seek to bring the Gentile Corinthian believers underneath those Judaistic laws. Of course, that was a perversion of the gospel. And to respond to that, the Corinthians gravitated to the other side of the argument to speak of their liberty in Christ. And in that liberty, they included their right to do whatever it is they wanted to do. There are many today who advocate Christian liberty, and we do have liberty in Christ, but we do not have with that liberty a license to sin and practice immorality. And oftentimes we find that those who speak much of their liberty can use it, not in all cases, because we do have liberty, but can use it to provide a cloak uh, to hide their desire to do as they wish. But as we find out in these verses, we are not our own. We are bought with a price. We belong to the Lord Jesus, and the Holy Spirit dwells within us. So there are three observations I want to give you as we look at the deceptive sin of fornication. Number one, although fornication was, as Paul used the expression, lawful, and this is an expression that many Bible commentators believe the Corinthians used often in explaining away and justifying their sinful behavior. But although it was permissible and culturally acceptable and promoted, practiced widely in Corinth, as it remains even so in America today, but fornication is sexual sin. Let me define that for you. That is sin outside of the bonds of marriage. Any sexual relationship or sexual intimacy outside of the bonds of holy matrimony, a man and a woman united together in marriage, anything outside of that is classified as fornication. Adultery follows underneath that classification, but we need to understand what it is we're speaking about here. We're speaking about sexual sin, and we understand that that is defined as any sexual relationship or intimacy outside of the bond of marriage between a man and a woman. This is God's definition. This is God's design. This is God's word. And although it is culturally permissible and acceptable and even promoted, the Apostle Paul said, you need to understand, though all things are lawful, he says in verse 12, all things are not expedient. 
The word expedient means all things are not good for you. All things are not profitable. He is using a Corinthian proverb here to explain to them that although they believed it was culturally acceptable to do so, it was not good for them to do so. Here's what we need to understand about fornication. It does severe damage to people's lives. Damage such as physical disease. It's amazing to read statistics about sexually transmitted diseases. It's become so pervasive now that when you take your child to the doctor, uh, your doctor will advise many of you parents to have your children uh, receive a, a shot to prevent them from developing uh, a virus, a virus that is spread through sexual contact. Uh, they advocate parents to do that uh, throughout many of our medical practices uh, in our community and in our nation. Uh, no, the idea of abstinence, the idea of purity has totally been given up in exchange for this idea of depending on, on, on medical uh, developments to protect our children. But the statistics are alarming concerning physical disease, sexually transmitted diseases. Not only is physical disease a problem, but emotional problems occur through the relationships that are engaged in and encountered by those who enter into fornication. The Bible teaches that when a man and woman come together, they become one flesh. They become united physically, emotionally, and spiritually. They are bound together. And when that action uh, is taken outside the bonds of matrimony, outside of the bonds of a committed relationship of marriage, it can leave scars and does leave scars and a lifetime of regret. Mental anguish results, strife and contention, abuses, accusations, fatherless children, neglect, poverty, and a lifetime of regret. It doesn't seem like a very profitable proposition, does it? Oh, it sounds like a natural thing to do, right? That's what Paul is saying. Oh, yes, the Corinthians said, we may do that, but we can, we can, uh, we can get forgiveness, and, and it's okay because we have liberty. This is a natural desire, and uh, everything's all right. And Paul is saying to them, no, everything is not all right. You need to understand the damage that this sin can cause. So the first observation, although fornication was permissible culturally, and acceptable and promoted in Corinth as it remains so today in America, it was not expedient and it is not expedient or profitable for those who participate in it today. The second observation is this. Although a Christian who enters into sexual sin may obtain forgiveness for that sin, he or she has no license to commit such sin. 
Let's go back to what Paul said. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will, I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Here is another Corinthian proverb. The Corinthians will say, well, you know, uh, the, the belly was created to, to feed and the food is there uh, to feast upon. And so meats for the belly and the belly for meats. And thus, if there is a physical desire, if there is a, a natural function of the body, then it must be fulfilled. And through this cloak of liberty, they said, well, because we have this natural desire, obviously God gave us this natural desire. And uh, if it is sin, then we can just do what we want to do and then we will be forgiven for it. And that is true. You will be forgiven if you confess your sin. But that does not mean we have a license to do so. The Bible teaches us, the Bible says the grace of God teaches us that we are to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, that we're to deny lascivious behavior. Because we are recipients of God's grace, we should desire not to sin, not to stretch the limits of God's grace, or to attempt to stretch them. We should desire to please the Lord because of his abundant grace that is shed toward us. Uh, as one commentator explains, the statement, all things are lawful, may have been a common Corinthian saying in that liberated society. Paul borrows it and playing off of it says, it is so for me too. Every sin I as a Christian commit is forgiven in Jesus Christ, but no sin is ever right or good. And no sin ever produces any right or good. Now remember, uh, when I introduced this message in this first point, I talked about the fact that fornication is a deceptive sin. Although it seemed permissible, it wasn't good for them. It wasn't profitable. And although it's a natural desire, it's a natural thing that they struggle with, uh, it is a natural need of the man and the woman, there is no license that God gives to commit that sin. But it's amazing how we can justify our actions, isn't it? Here's another observation as we consider fornication as a deceptive sin. And that is, although the desire for sexual intimacy is natural, believers must remember that the body was not created simply for fulfillment of fleshly desires, but for the Lord. God has a purpose for our bodies. Do you believe that? Who created your body? Who gave it to you? God did. He formed your body in the dust of the ground, breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. This body that we have is a body that is given to us from the Lord. He made our bodies. And although this desire is a natural desire, our bodies were not created simply so that we may be uh, driven by every desire of the body. Our bodies are to be dedicated to the Lord because the Lord has a purpose for our bodies. Go with me to the book of Romans. Would you turn there, please? Romans 
find chapter number 12. Romans chapter number 12. In Romans chapter 1 through 11, we read great doctrinal truths. We find that we are all sinners, Jew and Gentile. All are condemned because of their sin. We find that there is only one way for a guilty, condemned sinner to be made just, and that is through faith in Christ. We find that although we have received Christ, we have a battle that is ensuing between the flesh and the spirit. And in Romans chapter 8, the Bible tells us that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can prevail over the flesh as we depend upon him, as we look to him, as we are filled with him, as we walk in obedience to him. As we come to chapter number 12, the Apostle Paul, having laid a doctrinal foundation for us, then explains to us how we are to live out on a practical daily basis the Christian life, much like he has taken the pain to do in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, by letting us know our previous condition and our present position. He then says this is the way you need to live, especially in relation to sexual sin. Now we come to Romans 12 and verse 1. I want you to look at these, these words with me as you read on, on your Bible with me. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your, what's the next word? He said, I want you to present your bodies a living sacrifice. You don't have to die, not, not to please God. No, Jesus died to make the payment of your sin. A sacrifice was given to appease the wrath of God. Our sacrifice is the person of the Lord Jesus. Now that we've been redeemed, we belong to him. So he says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, that means pure, that means righteous, holy, acceptable not to the world, acceptable not in your own mind, but acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service. This is not an expectation that is in any way unreasonable. This is a reasonable expectation. Verse two, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. The mind is the arena that can be conformed to the world because we can begin to think like the world. Now imagine the Corinthians, they'd grown up in that wicked society. They had uh, seen these uh, temple prostitutes and uh, they had grown up around all of this adultery and fornication. And they were taught from their youth up that, hey, uh, if you have that desire, then it's okay to fulfill that desire anytime you please and with anyone you please. That was the thinking of the world. And by the way, that is still the thinking of our world. Our, our, our world is greatly confused when it comes to the matter of human sexuality. Our world says anything goes. And we live in a world that is paying the consequence for that sin and that iniquity, but cannot see it because of their blindness. Paul said, don't, don't be conditioned by the world. Don't think like them. Do, do not be conformed to them. Verse two, but be ye, what's the next word, church? Transformed by the what? Renewing of your mind. What is it that we're seeking to do tonight? We've gathered around the word of God. We're dealing with the subject of 
of, of sexual sin. We're living in a world that promotes it on a, a daily basis. Not, not just a daily basis, but a moment-by-moment -moment basis. We live in a world that is saturated with sexual immorality. Our children face it every moment as they come into their youth through the, the, the media, the platforms that are popular, the entertainment, the message of this culture. We have a movement going on recently called the Me Too movement. It's very interesting to me to note that the people who are leading the charge in the Me Too movement are the same people who have been the purveyors of, of wickedness and immorality for many years in our culture. It's the same group that would say to you, you can do anything you want to do. And when people act upon that impulse and when people act upon that type of philosophy, it results in abuses and mistreatment and regret and guilt and shame and accusation. And this is the world we live in today. He said, do not be conformed to that way of thinking, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Get your mind right. That's where the battle is taking place. That's where the battle is raging today in your life to get your mind right. Well, how do I do that? I fill my heart and mind with the truth of God's word. The way I view sexuality, the way I view my life and the direction of my life and what I do with my body and what I do with my time, all of that can be shaped by the truth of the word of God. That you may prove, he said, that you may, that you may demonstrate, that you may show to the world what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now remember, Paul is writing to believers and he's saying to them, you live in this wicked culture, but do not live like the lost. Demonstrate, prove to them what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. They need to see the difference. John Phillips says this concerning the body. He says, the body of the believer belongs to the Lord. It is to be the instrument for accomplishing his purposes in the world. Moreover, it has a cosmic significance. Although death destroys it, nevertheless, it will be raised as Christ's own body was raised because it will be an instrument for accomplishing his vast purposes in eternity. What those purposes are will be revealed in due time. How great they are is hinted at by Paul when he tells us the whole creation is on tiptoe, as he says it, to see what will happen when the sons of God come into their own. God has great things in store for us in eternity, and our bodies will be needed to be part of it. I want to tell you that God has a purpose and a plan for your body, a purpose and plan in this life, and a purpose and plan in the life to come. It belongs to him, and so yield yourself to him. Yielding to the natural tendencies or desires of the flesh brings us under the dominion and power of the flesh. Notice again what the apostle Paul said. 
He says in verse 12, but I will not be brought under the power of any. You see, while the Corinthians professed to have liberty, they were actually in chains, chains of bondage to their sin. And those chains, young people, are hard to break. When you start dabbling with those chains, you're going to find yourself bound. Number one, flee fornication. Why? Because it is a deceptive sin. Number two, flee fornication. Why? Because it is, number two, a desecrating sin. Look, if you would, please, now in verse number 15. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. You see, if you are a believer, you have become a member of Christ's body. Romans 12, 5. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Uh, powerfully and mystically, we have been united in our faith the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, we have been united together with Christ. We are one in him. We are members of his body. Would you take a member of Christ's body and join his body to a harlot? Well, it's a reprehensible thought. It's hard to even say it, isn't it? It's hard to hear it. It's a reprehensible thought. And that is what Paul is saying. You see, as the body of Christ, we are the incarnation of his person. Let me explain that. When the Lord Jesus Christ lived on this earth, he had a physical body. In that body, he interacted with the rest of the world. He spoke to people. He touched people. He, he expressed himself and communicated to them and they with him. Today, the Lord Jesus, having ascended into heaven, has left his body here. Who is his body? What is the makeup of his body? It is his church. We belong to him. Just as he had a body then, he has a body now. That's our body. And when we take the body of Christ and join it, in sexual sin and fornication, we have desecrated his body. It's a serious sin in God's eyes, and we need to flee it. We should flee it because it is a deceptive sin. We should flee it because it is a desecrating sin. But thirdly, we should flee it because it is a distinct sin. It is a sin unlike other sins. Notice, if you would please, again, in verse 18, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. So it's a distinct sin. Verse 19, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price, Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 
So fornication is a distinct sin, and it is distinct in two ways. Number one, it is a sin against one's own body. Go with me to the book of Proverbs, please. Proverbs chapter number five. Proverbs chapter number five and verse number one. Proverbs chapter number five and verse number one. And here we have the words of a father to his son. In verse 1, the Bible said, My son, attend unto my wisdom, and bow thine ear to my understanding, that thou mayest regard discretion, and that thy lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of a strange woman drop as an honeycomb, and her, her mouth is smoother than oil. But her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps... Take hold on hell. There's an, an alluring attraction here. A woman to be desired. A woman who speaks smooth words, but her end is bitter. Honey is sweet, but wormwood is bitter. Her words may be soothing, but she's sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold on hell. Look at verse 8. Remove thy way far from her. Come not nigh the door of her house. Don't even walk by her house. That's a good rule. That, that'll help you, right? Avoid things that you know are going to get you into trouble. Verse 9, lest thou give thine honor unto others. Now we're talking about the fact that this is a distinct sin. It is distinct because it is a sin against one's own body. Lest thou give thine honor unto others and thy years unto the cruel. Lest strangers be filled with thy wealth and thy labors be in the house of a stranger. And thou mourn at the last when thy flesh and thy body are consumed. And say, how have I hated instruction? And my heart despised reproof. And have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined mine ear to them that instructed me. Here's a father saying to his son, beware of this temptation to commit sexual sin. Remove your way from her house. Be careful unless you end up giving your honor away, unless you end up uh, wasting the years of your life, unless you, you end up giving to strangers, other people, your wealth. Someone will live in your house with your wife and your children. If you do not learn to get the victory in this area, Thou mourn at the last when thy flesh and thy body are consumed. When your body riddled with disease and your spirit and your mind and emotion riddled with guilt and shame. And you say with a regret in your heart, how have I hated instruction? And my heart despised reproof. Oh, I wish I had listened. I wish I had listened. I wish I'd been obedient and have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined mine ear to them 
that instructed me. You see, there's a natural rebellion that happens in our youth, isn't it? And we tend to listen to everybody but the people who love us. And we think we know better. And that's when we get ourselves into trouble. Romans, or Proverbs rather, Proverbs chapter 6, look at it. You're in Proverbs 5, look in Proverbs 6. We're talking about a sin against the body. Verse 32, but whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. A wound and dishonor shall he get and his reproach shall not be wiped away. This is a sin against one's body. The second reason that it is distinct is because it is a sin against the Holy Spirit. Notice again in verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? The Holy Spirit of God has come to reside in you. Your body is his house. He dwells within you. Therefore, what you do with your body affects the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 20, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. John Phillips described it this way. Throughout the entire immoral liaison, the Holy Spirit is present. In the body being thus abused, Grieve beyond words, witnessing the whole shameful thing wounded in his heart. His holiness outraged. His immediate vengeance held back only by his grace. Surely this has to be Paul's crowning argument against fornication. The Holy Spirit becomes an unwilling, reluctant witness to our sin. Warren Wearsby summarized it succinctly saying, God the Father created our bodies, God the Son redeemed them and made them part of his body, and God the Spirit indwells our bodies and makes them the very temple of God. How can we defile God's temple by using our bodies for immorality? You see, this sin of fornication is a strong and powerful sin. It's not one to be played with. It is a deceptive sin. It is a desecrating sin. And it is a distinct sin. Distinct because of the damage that it does to our body and the grief it brings to the Holy Spirit. So how do we deal with it? Well, the Bible said flee it. Flee it. We have a beautiful illustration of that in Genesis chapter 39. I want you to turn there with me and we'll close. In Genesis chapter 39, Joseph was brought to Egypt and sold into the house of Potiphar. The Bible tells us in verse 2 of Genesis 39, and the Lord was with Joseph. I want to remind you, if you're a Christian, the Lord is with you. And 
And he was a prosperous man. He's a slave, but he's a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian, and his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. This is what the world needs to see in us, that God is with us. That's what your coworkers and your friends, young people and, and gentlemen and ladies, that's what they need to see, that God is with you. You profess to be a Christian. Well, they're watching. And Joseph found grace in his sight and he served him and made him overseer of his house and all that he had he put in his hand and it came to pass from time to time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field and he left all that he had in Joseph's hand and he knew not all he had save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. Verse 7. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. And she said, lie with me. This young man who is doing his best to serve God and who God is using is now faced with something he didn't imagine he would be faced with. Potiphar's wife wants to be involved and engaged in an immoral relationship with him. And nobody would have known it, perhaps. Here is De uh, Joseph, hundreds and hundreds of miles away from home, betrayed, sold into slavery by his own brothers, and he's faced with this temptation. Notice what he says, what the Bible says in verse 8. How did he respond? But he what? He refused. And said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not. He doesn't even know what is with me in the house. He, he's not concerned about that. He, he's put such trust in me that he, he, doesn't even, he doesn't even look to see what's there or if I've taken anything. And he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in his house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass that she spake to Joseph day by day. By the way, how often will you face this temptation? as often as Joseph did, day by day. And it doesn't go away with age, does it? No. Day by day. As she spoke to him, day by day, verse 10, he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. Verse 11, and it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business and there was none of the men of the house there within. So Joseph is fulfilling his responsibility in the home and there's nobody else in the home. And she caught him by his garment. She's grabbed a hold of him now, saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. He's a vivid illustration for us. Come not nigh the door of our house. 
Don't try to fight it. Flee it. And may God help us to do so. We live in a, a world that is full of fornication. It's pervasive. And it is natural. A natural temptation of our flesh. And may God help us to learn these truths tonight. It's a deceptive sin. Hey girls, don't fall for the line. If they love you, they're willing to wait till you say I do. And if they're not, then maybe they don't love you. It's a deceptive sin. It is a desecrating sin to take the members of Christ and join them in union with a harlot. It is a distinct sin, one that affects the body and the spirit. And that's why we're dealing with a world full of hurt and pain because we've promoted this wicked lifestyle. We've promoted immorality and homes are breaking up and children are growing up without fathers and our society is paying the price. May God help us to return to him. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used his word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.